0: This is Susanna Hills' podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's wonderful to be together. Before I begin, I just want to say a very big thank you to the wonderful support we've had. Um, many of you know my wife had emergency spinal surgery two weeks ago. Um, she's doing very well. Thank you. Um, I'm doing very well, got sore shoulder, sore wrist, <laughs> picking up my wife. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's all good and we thank God for every bit of progress. Just thank you for the wonderful love just lavished upon us, the wonderful meals, the prayer. Please keep praying, um, her legs have to get strengthened and you uh, can pray specifically for that and I really appreciate that. So here we are. At this wonderful series on the revelation of John. Friends, I want to say to you, we are living in exceptional times. We are living in an incredibly chaotic and crazy age. You know, I was chatting to my daughter while she was here, Uh, she's from England. And just listening to how she's engaging her teenagers in the first world country and just some of the things they're facing. And I mean, I know our young people here are facing all sorts of crazy things that we never (laughs) had to face. And it's a bit of a scary world with all that's going on. But friends, the great encouragement is this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And Revelation, there's a lot of mystery. But friends, I want to encourage you. There's so much wonderful truth. And we're going get to get into the heart of, of the Revelation. And receive all the certainties that are contained in this amazing vision. And not get bent out of shape about the obscurities but to look at the certainties and draw from that and build our faith. So it's 90 AD, and John is on the Isle of Patmos because of his faith. The church in Asia Minor is under severe persecution, under Nero and the Roman oppression. They are experiencing incredible hardship. And that's the setting of John's revelation. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in the.'" in the book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice. Friends, isn't this an amazing little statement? I turned to see the voice, the word, the living word in flesh, risen, glorified. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. Refined in a furnace, and his voice like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. What an incredible encounter. Here's John on the Isle of Patmos being persecuted for his faith. And he receives this incredible revelation. And so John is a pastor. And he has these churches in his heart and so... Revelation is very much a pastoral letter. <laughs> Quite a hectic letter to get from your apostle. <laughs> but you'll, you'll see as we journey through Revelation, the heart of the pastor for his people. And he's wanting to bring encouragement. He's wanting to bring hope. And as a pastor, he gets this incredible prophetic word. Or words incredible prophetic insight as to what is happening there 90 AD in Asia Minor under Roman oppression and that's spilling out which becomes a word for the church in the world even for today much of what John hears is for then. we have to understand that much of what he hears Is for them then. And that helps us in our interpretation and understanding. It's not all future. Much of what he's seen and hearing from God is what the people are going through already. Much of what he sees and hears has got an immediate application. The revelation is full of imagery, full of symbols. But listen carefully. The people to whom John is speaking, that's not foreign to them. They've been brought up with symbols and imagery. And so the revelation is filled with images and symbols from the Old Testament. Lots of Old Testament language and, and lots of phrases and pictures and images taken from Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and it all finds itself in this melting pot of John's revelation. And I like what Eugene Peterson says. He says, isn't it amazing that God chooses to end the Bible with poetry? To end the Bible with poetry. You see, up to Revelation... We've got all we need for our salvation, haven't we? You've only got to read Romans, and you've got it all. You know who God is, you know what sin is, you know who the devil is, you know what faith is, you know what justification is, you know what sanctification is, you know what glorification is, and, and, and. We've got it. So John is not setting out to teach us new things in our doctrine. He's coming with his powerful, poetic imagery to to, to try and bring us into an experience, to experience the might of God, to experience this incredible, risen, glorious Lord Jesus Christ. It's like the curtain has been lifted and we see heaven. It's like we get the privilege of being taken right into the throne room of God and we hear the Lord speaking. We are given flash pictures of His glory and of His power. And this is what Peterson says. We do not have more information after we read a poem we have more experience. We don't have more information, we have more experience. It's not an examination of what happens, but an, Im- an immersion of what happens, being placed into this incredible drama. If you're going to come to Revelation like an accountant, then you have groot big Seriously, because that's the problem with so many people. They come at Revelation like they come to Romans. And you cannot do that. Because the Revelation is a poetic, powerful drama of flash pictures, of the magnificence of God, of the glory of Jesus, of the magnificence of heaven. And, 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 and John wants to take us into what he's seen in this incredible drama. Another great scholar says, revelation, the revelation is a dramatized word. It's this this unveiling of the word. It's an acted word. It's a painted word. It's a dramatized word. It's a word set to music. It's a word you can see and feel and taste. And Wilcock, this same scholar, says, isn't it interesting that we here in the 21st century have come full circle? Because the people that John's writing to understand imagery. They, they're not fazed by all these beasts and dragons and smoke and eyes like fire and voices like thunder. That's, they understand that. Now come full circle to 21st century and what's happened to us? We are living in a highly visual age. In our phones, our tablets, our TVs, isn't it? It's just visual, visual, visual. Ba, 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 Am I right? Yes, take away someone's cell phone and they start withering. They're going to withdraw symptoms. But it's true, isn't it? You feel like a limb has been taken off. But friends, we don't realize we're being bombarded all the time, every day, with imagery, imagery, imagery. How wonderful that revelation comes bursting into our life at this point. And if we can embrace it like this incredible drama, it is going to do so much for us. So God knew long ago where you and I would be living. I love this statement. He says, when His children, when God's children have had enough of reciting systematic theology, he gives them a gorgeous picture book to look at. Which is just as educational. And I'm hoping you'll see that as we go on. So one of the most effective ways of engaging with the revelation is by using your imagination. To see it as an elaborate picture book to see it as an unfolding drama in the world. To me, it's like an extravagant play. And when I first first got onto this through Michael Eaton many years ago, things started fitting into place. It's this wonderful eight-act play. Now, how amazing is this? So seven is the number of perfection, yes? Seven is the number of completeness. Eight is the number of new beginnings. And so as we journey through Revelation, you'll see it'll go through seven distinct acts. And the final act seven will be where God steps onto the the, the earth, when Jesus steps onto the earth and the enemy is tied up forever, thrown away, done away, with all evil is exterminated, And Act 8, new heavens, new earth, King Jesus reigning with his people. So we need to engage in the rich imagery and the special effects. I mean, we're living in an age where people get Oscars for special effects. Am I right? So when we look at Lord of the Rings and movies like that, and we read Revelation, we said, ah, yes, yes. I'm getting it. So there are eight specific acts. I wonder what scene we're in now. I personally think we're in scene three. When the trumpets are sounding. The judgments of God are falling. And we'll get to that. That's personally where I I think we're at. Revelation, and, 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 and John himself, it's like it's like he's on the spiral staircase. You're not a spiral staircase, is that? Eh? So stairs that go up a building, and around, and around, and around. So you can stand on the top, and look down to the bottom. If your mate's down on first floor, and you're on tenth floor, you can catch connection. If you're on the bottom floor, you can look right up to the top floor. And that's what John goes through. He's in the spiral staircase. There are moments when he's looking up to heaven and a door opens in heaven and he's ushered into heaven and he sees what's happening in heaven. Other times he's taken up to heaven and he's looking down on the earth and seeing what's happening on the earth and how God sees what's happening on the earth. Now here's the deal, and this is where so many people get unstuck. The revelation is not chronological. on a it 's not in sequence, and that 's where people come so unstuck. It 's not chapter one to chapter twenty two, and that all happens like that. no that 's what 's so challenging about the revelation that 's the biggest challenge. You know, I was listening to a debate on my bike over the last week or so, of several scholars, and John Piper was busy mediating the debate, quite heated at times, talking about the end times and the millennium and the pre-millennium and the mid and the post and all that stuff. And I thought, man, if these, if these scholars haven't got it, how do, uh, okay, like me, how do we get it? But like I say, we, we want to get into the heart of the revelation. We want to hear God. We want to see God. We want to feel God. We want to experience Jesus, this glorious, glorious, magnificent Lord. Here's a helpful way of understanding the revelation it's like a novel. You know that when you pick up a novel, there's going to be an, a beginning the author is going to take you into the story, right? And you know, before you even read the book, there's going to be an ending. I mean, surely, if there wasn't going to be an ending, would you read it? I mean, (laughs) mean, imagine, imagine going through this wonderful novel and there's no last chapter. Well, that is a waste of time. You lay awake awake all night thinking, and this guy and that guy and, and, and the criminal and the, the murderer and, and what happened to this guy? No, it'll drive you nuts. You know when you pick up a book, it's got a beginning, a middle and an end. Revelation has a beginning and it's got an end and then it's got a middle. And if we could have that, that graphic up, Great. So here's a very simplistic way of looking at it. The first five chapters is very straightforward and we'll get into that next week where where Jesus is walking through the churches, the seven churches. So it's very clear, it's in that space of time and you'll see at the other side chapters 19 to 22 is where Jesus wraps up everything and he reigns as king. In the middle, there is a tremendous amount of stuff going on, and I call it the messy middle. And it's in this messy middle where you cannot put dates and times on. And scholars have been trying to do that for many years. And these guys have to keep altering their charts because what they what they thought four years ago is no longer applicable, so they've got to change their charts. But it's this messy it's this messy middle. It's all about seals and trumpets and Satan and beasts and dragons and bowls and Babylon. But friends, it's, it's when we get into this messy middle that we hear God speaking so clearly. We we see the Lord of Glory taking action in the world. And we don't need dates and times. What we need is to, is to see the glorious Lord in charge of the universe. You'll see that we'll get to a, a point where John begins to weep because they bring the scroll. Once again, the Jewish people would understand the scroll because every, every Sabbath they'll pull out the scroll and read from Isaiah or wherever. So they understood the scroll. And so Jesus has a, there's a scroll that's brought out. And John begins to weep because he says there's no one worthy to open the scroll. And the scroll he's talking about is the history of the world. And he weeps because he knows there's no one worthy to open the scroll. And then he hears the word, weep no more, for the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open the scroll. And that opening of the scroll is is bearing the unfolding drama of history that will follow, which they can already see and which is unfolding even now. So this middle section is like that, like that mystery novel where there's all these characters and there's all these things going on and you don't fully understand until you start getting near the, the end and the pieces start coming together and you've got a satisfying end. And friends, for me, my challenge is to be living in this messy middle with assur- assurance of my salvation. With the assurance that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is in charge of history. And he's in charge of the unfolding of history. And so we have this messy middle with trumpets. Now trumpets, when they blasted the trumpet, it was a massive warning. And so we enter the age of trumpets where it's a prophetic word that starts sounding out to the world. And we're going to look at that later on in in the series. And friends, I don't need to tell you, the trumpets are already sounding. The judgments of God have already started falling on the earth. You see, friends, I want you to understand something. We're not living like 2,000 years, and then there's chrotmuelakeit. And Jesus comes and sorts it out. No. (laughs) We're in the messy middle right now. And the trumpet blasts are blasting. And the voice of God is shouting to the earth, repent. And friends, listen, while while the trumpet blasts are blasting, there's an opportunity to repent. Repent. But as you journey through the revelation, you're going to get to the point when you realize the trumpet phase will pass, and you'll get to the stage of the bowls where the anger of God boils up and boils out. And guess what? The bowls are not for repentance. When the bowls start pouring out, it's too late. So we are living in urgent days. We are living in urgent days, friends, because to me the trumpet is blasting. I mean, have a look at COVID. Who would have thought that in a few weeks the whole world will be shut down? First time ever in the world. Things can happen just like that. Friends, God is speaking loud and clear. It's a season for repentance. And then there's the beasts. The one out of the sea and the one out of the land. All led by the dragon. Here's all this picture language. But friends, it's so infoder. To me, oh, what's the mark of the beast? (laughs) The mark of the beast is man. Man without God is a beast. Seriously, friends, are you listening to the news? The most horrific things are happening. We are living in um, evil, brutal days. The beast is alive and well. Yes, we know he will become more and more defined. But friends, the beast is among us. Don't you think? The false prophets are alive and well and speaking false religion. Friends, in the West, it's alive and thriving. And friends, we're going to see next week what happens when Jesus walks through the church. But I'm running ahead. (laughs) You see, friends, the two beasts and the dragon, it's an unholy trinity. Satan can't create anything. He can only copy. And what does he do? He copies the trinity. And there's the manifestation of the false prophets, false religion. And there's the beast in the political arena. Once again, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to see how governments are acting. How governments are oppressing people. And the oppression will get stronger, even in our own nation. And it will get more and more defined as the days draw near. The bowls I've already spoken about. That's where the anger of God boils over. And let me tell you, God doesn't have to tip those bowls. We'll do just as good a job at doing it. (laughs) Really. Oh, God's a God of judgment. Yes, He is. But guess what? We're going to tip those bowls. You've got bowls and you've got Babylon. Friends, you and I are living in Babylon. Babylon. Don't let anybody tell you that, yes, they're busy rebuilding Babylon. That's just garbage. It is something far more sinister, far more powerful than a physical city. Friends, it's a spiritual city that you and I, when I say part of, I'm not saying part of as we participate in it, but we are living in the midst of Babylon. We are living in the middle of, of worldly powers, worldly philosophies, we we are living with the whore of Babylon. Sorry, that's the scriptures. (laughs) Who is seducing people by the millions, sucked into materialism, sucked into wealth, sucked into prosperity, sucked into greed, sucked into corruption, friends, our biggest challenge as Christians is living in the middle of Babylon and staying true to Jesus. What a wonderful picture with Daniel. Daniel's in Babylon, the real city, the real king, totally and utterly ungodly, living in gross idolatry. And what happens? He says, sir, if you don't mind, we don't want to eat your sweetmeats. Yes, we want to eat our fruit and vegetables. <laughs> he obviously wasn't a burkey. <laughs> he says, I want to serve the God of heaven. And friends, he's living in Babylon. You and I are living in Babylon. Most of you know it far better than me. Because me, I come to work at the office here. And we sing praises the whole day and we. (laughs) No, actually, we don't. Normally, we've got Letitia shouting at us and. (laughs) Come on, where's are But you, you guys know much more than me. What it is to be living in Babylon, where people are cutting corners, where people are manipulating and corrupting, and the seduction is powerful, and we've got all the social media to help us along. We're living in this global village, friends, where we are so so connected that actually now there's an evil connotation to it, because it's nice to be connected for the positives, but friends, we are connected for all the negatives. And it's, it's diabolical. So Babylon, friends, is not down there. It's here. It's just going to get more and more defined. But friends, in the midst of all of this, there is one character above all these characters. And that's this fearsome king of kings. Kings. And Lord of Lords. Friends, when you read Revelation, you forget the prayer your parents taught you when you were a little light. Oh, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. <laughs> Look upon this little child. You... No, no. Friends, I tell you, I just love it. Jesus sets foot and comes out under the veil, and his voice is like thunder. It's like the sound of many waters. His eyes are like blazing fires. No wonder John fell dead at his feet. But you know, just listen to this John walked with Jesus. Yes. He was taken to the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter, James, and John saw Jesus in his future glory, shining in splendor. Yes. Then John experienced Jesus, the living Lord, from the dead, resurrected. Glorified body, Spent six weeks with him in and out and all over. But, friends, now, now what happens? Jesus is in his full glory. The thundering voice, the eyes like fire, hair like wool, full of wisdom. And he falls on his feet. Why? The veil has been taken away. Friends, that's what revelation means. Apocalypsis. The veil has been taken away. John gets the privilege of seeing Jesus in all his magnificent glory. You know, I was thinking, Paul, persecuting the church, no, 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 going on, riding along the masochist road, he meets Jesus. Pow, off his horse. Blinding light. And that's incredible but when you come to John this makes the Damascus Road look like a picnic <laughs> isn't it friends I want to encourage you that as we live in these dark days this is the Jesus whom we worship this is the one in whom Colossians says all things hold together this is the mighty Lord Jesus Christ who one day when he gets on his horse every army will be flattened by the word of his mouth. Friends, that's the main player in this drama. In the turmoil, in the tribulation of the world, stands this powerful, glorious Lord who holds history in his hands. And So friends, as as I start coming to a close, the messy middle tells us that the chaos will get worse. Not being negative, that's the truth. Satan will become more and more enraged. There will be greater demonic deception. It's here now, but it's going to get greater and greater. False prophets, Jesus told us all about that. Here's the bad news Christians will suffer more, and they are suffering already. Babylon will tighten its grip on the world. The beasts of false religion. And demonically inspired governments will get stronger and stronger. But, but, Jesus reigns supreme. Revelation says that he holds the keys of life and death. He alone has history in his hand. And more and more, friends, our faith is going to be challenged to the nth degree. And many of you are going through that already. More and more, the world is going to oppose us. But the central message of the revelation is that God is faithful. He will sustain us through the challenges. Friends, if there's ever a time to know in whom you believe, it is today. Really. This is not the time for wishy-washy Christianity. This is the time for robust faith, robust worship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the time to nail your colors to the flag. This is the time to be radical in your faith because we are going to get less and less cushy in our churches as the opposition arises. So as we journey through, through the revelation, may our eyes says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding will be open, That you'd have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. That more and more we will see the magnificence and the grandeur and the glory of this risen Christ who, who holds history in, his, in the palm of His hand. It's my prayer that as we journey through this we will encounter this majestic King at an ever-increasing level. I like what Eugene Peterson says. He says, we're not headed for a terminus. Now the terminus is where the bus stops. It's the end of the line. And if you're still in the bus, well, you've missed a few. Now you've got a problem. <laughs> too many. There are too many terminus Christians. They're just waiting for this to end. It's like, at the end of the line, now we go to heaven no no we're in this journey and instead of a a terminus there's a goal and the goal is to honor and glorify Jesus because he has a purpose for us he has a purpose for his church and so friends I want to ask you this morning how robust is your faith I want to ask you how do you see Jesus Christ? Do you see him as this glorious victorious conquering king? And that you can say Lord I want to surrender my life to you. I'm not asking did you give your life to Jesus? Because at some point Most of us have. What I'm asking, what is the level of your surrender to this incredible King? Because friends, I'm telling you now, our faith is going to be tested more and more. But Paul says, you know what? He said, I'm convinced that he is able to guard that which he's entrusted to me. And that's my new life in Christ. Paul says, I'm confident. You'll never let me go. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your word. It is a sharp two-edged sword. It divides between spirit and soul, joint and marrow, discerning the intent of the heart. And so Lord, we come before you this morning. Lord, would you open our eyes? Would you open the eyes of our understanding? Help us to see Jesus in all his glory and to break through the mess, Lord. Whether it's in relationships, whether it's challenges at work, with your finances, with your children, with, with work itself, with your studies, with Whatever. Would you break through all that, Lord? And may we see you, King of kings and Lord of lords, that like John, we'll just fall at our knees, Lord. I pray that there'd be a revelation of Christ for us, Lord. And that this will be an an everyday surrender, Lord. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times or ways you can get involved. We are also streaming our message on Facebook Live, so make sure you join us or share the post. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. We'll see you soon.